everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Wagging Woofies podcast. This is episode number four. Um, again, I'm posting this one up on YouTube and on my website, wagonwoofies.com, and on YouTube, uh, just search Wagging Woofies, and I will come up. Uh, so today's episode is brought to you by me, Brian Strasberg of Wagging Woofies. Um, just kidding. I'm not doing sponsorships right now. Today's episode, though, on a serious note, is about training, positive reinforcement versus negative reinforcement, and we're going to talk a little bit about it, and I'm going to get into the science of things on this one. So, as I said in an earlier episode, I'm not going to sit here and talk about how to train your dog and all the same stuff that everybody else talks about, but I'm going to actually start backing things up right now, uh, because it is very important for people to understand that when we sit there and we train our dogs using uh, positive reinforcement, using treats and lures, that there is a very good reason for it. And I do get a lot of comments from clients of mine who say, just sit there and say, oh, so what do you do? Just feed them treats? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. It's exactly what I do. I feed them treats. I give them what they want. And that is what they want. They want rewards. They want don't want punishment. They want to be rewarded for what they're doing. You're asking them to do something. They're going to be rewarded for it. Um, you know, so we're not in the business of punishing animals. We're in the business of helping animals succeed. We're in the business of creating uh, an amazing bond between you and your animal, you and your pet. And in order to do that, your dog has to trust you. And if your dog doesn't trust you, then you're not going to have a good relationship and your dog's going to be scared of you and not really pay attention to what you're doing and, and what, what you're asking of it. You know, so a lot of uh, dog behavior will stem from how it's trained, how it's treated, and knowing how to properly train your dog and understanding the science behind it and not just saying, Oh, it's fine. My dog listens to me when I yank on the chain. Uh, it's good enough for me. Well, yeah, your dog is going to listen to you, just like you would listen to a person who put a chain around your neck and yanked on it till you sat down or did whatever they asked of you. You know, So it's kind of like, would you rather me give you a piece of chocolate every time you did something that I asked for you, or would you rather me punch you in the face every time you didn't do something I asked for you? you know, so it, it's the exact same idea. we rather reward than punish. we rather set up for success than set up for failure. Um, you know, so it, it goes hand in hand with the relationship you're going to have with your animal, as I just said, and how your animal's life is going to be. Either your dog is going to be walking around stressed out all the time, not knowing what's going to happen, or it's going to be happy as anything, walking around, wiggling its bum, wagging its tail, and just being a happy dog and being a dog. Um, so to begin with, we're going to start off with positive reinforcement and what it is. So positive reinforcement, or R+, plus, as some people know it as, the term, them taking this from Norma Jean Lorette from Canine Correspondence Studies, by the way, um, just a couple definitions, and then I'm going to be using Stanley Corrin's uh, articles. He wrote a couple articles, actually, that are perfect for this podcast, um, and we'll get into those in a minute as well. So to begin with, the term positive reinforcement refers to adding something pleasant in order to increase the likelihood that a specific behavior will reoccur. Okay, so that's from Norma Jean Lorette from the Canine Correspondence Studies. Uh, again, she's the person who I went through to get my training certificate from. So let's look at that again. The term positive reinforcement refers to adding something pleasant in order to increase 
the likelihood that a specific behavior will reoccur. So what does that mean? That means if you want your dog to sit, when it sits and you give it a treat or a cookie or a pad or a play session or something, it's being rewarded, which means it's more likely to continue to give you that behavior than not. Um, so by doing such things, so you're going to end up with um, dogs that's going to be a lot happier and every, and we're going to talk about this. Um, it's going to be more reward-based. So the rewards that we want to talk about are touch, vocal, eye contact, and treats. So you have three of those on you at all times. So you can always be rewarding your dog and you won't even know it. So another problem with, uh, th with rewarding dogs, in a sense, it's not really a problem, but you can, un you can unintentionally train your dog to do things by rewarding them unintentionally. So a dog jumps up upon you and you push the dog off of you. Well, you've touched your dog, you probably told your dog to get off of you and you probably made eye contact with the dog. So that's three things right there that your dog is being rewarded for. Um, a way to avoid doing that is avoid, avoiding your dog, ignoring your dog as you come in the home, uh, teaching it the off command to begin with so it doesn't do that behavior and stopping all jumping. Um, that's a different story altogether. Right now we're not talking about that. But these are just how these are just rewards that we have and use. Uh, with positive reinforcement, we do not correct; we redirect. So, if a dog is doing behavior that we don't want them to do, such as jumping, actually, uh, I guess we will talk about this. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get in the middle of the behavior. We're gonna, we're gonna distract the behavior, and then we're gonna redirect the behavior to something that we rather them do, like sit. We also use it for shaping. So shaping can be used for trick training or it could be used for very specific small movements. Um, so if you're trying to treat, uh, train your dog to cross their paws over each other, uh, you can use a clicker to, for shaping or you can use rewards for shaping. It's just, um, it takes more time to do. Um, and you kind of wait for the, for the dog to give you the behavior. We don't use any aversive tools, so there's no prong collars, there's no uh, chokers, there's no martingales, there's no shock collars. Um, you end up with a happy dog, you get a fantastic bond with you and your dog because your dog is a lot happier. It's not stressed out from you yelling at it or yanking on a leash or choking it or jabbing it in the neck with prongs. So there's going to be less stress and you're going to have a dog who wants to please and a dog who wants to work. So most dogs want to work, they want a job to do and they're very happy to do it for you as long as you give them something to do. Um, so just make sure that you are making, you are doing, you're making an effort as much as you possibly can to appease your dog and make your dog happy because if your dog is happy, you will be happy. If your dog's not happy, trust me, you will not be happy. Uh, you will come home to destruction and possibly an aggressive dog. I'm not going to say for sure, but it's a very possibility. Um, so that is what you get with positive reinforcement. Happiness, control an amazing bond, and a dog that is loving life, okay? Next is negative reinforcement, or R negative. Term negative reinforcement refers to removing something unpleasant. So we went from adding something pleasant to removing something unpleasant in order to increase the likelihood that a specific behavior will reoccur. This is again from Norma Jean Lorette's Canine Correspondence Studies. Okay, so the term negative reinforcement refers to removing something unpleasant in order to increase the likelihood that a specific behavior will reoccur. 
Okay, so you're going to remove something that the dog doesn't like that you're doing to the dog in order to get them to give you the behavior. Okay, so the rewards, well, this is the reward. You're no longer choking your dog out. You're no longer uh, using the prong collar on it. You're no longer putting pressure on it. So if you ask your dog to sit, for instance, and your dog doesn't sit, you yank up on the, on the leash, you're either choking it with the choke chain or you're using the prongs digging into its neck and you're shoving its butt down. And the minute its bum goes down, you slowly release your hand off the dog's bum and you release the choker so it's no longer being choked and no pressure on its neck. That is now the reward. So... What did you just do? You just scared your dog and you caused your dog a lot of stress because it doesn't know what you want from it. Dogs are blank slates. And what we're doing when we take a dog home with us from the breeder or from the uh, kennel, wherever it might be, um, we have to train them so that we can do things with them on command. So everything we're teaching them is already innate into them. They, they come with this built into them. But we're being selfish and we're doing it for our own pleasure where we can take a dog and make it sit. We can take a dog and make it lie down. So it's a way for us to control the animal for whatever reason that we want to do. Um, you're always going to be correcting the dog. So as I said, when you try to get your dog to sit and the dog doesn't sit, you're going to sit there yank on the leash. So you're going to be doing leash tugs, prong pulls, choke chain pulls. Uh, you're going to shock your dog if you have a collar on it until it gets what it's done. So again, you end up with a scared dog and a dog walking on eggshells and a very stressed out dog. And the bond between you and that dog is not going to be as strong as it would be if you were using positive reinforcement. And I'll get into that when we start talking about the articles in a minute. Um, and you're going to end up with a dog who does out of fear, not out of loyalty or out of wanting to, but because it thinks it's going to get hurt if it doesn't. So your dog is going to, is going to give you a whole bunch of stressors when you ask it to do anything, stress signs, and it's you ask it to sit, you're going to get a whole bunch of mouth licks, you're going to get a bunch of uh, aversions and whale eyes and ears back and stress lines and whatever other signs the dog's going to give you, it's going to show you all these behaviors because it's now related whatever behavior you've tried to teach it with the leash as a negative towards that behavior, okay? Um, and this all can lead to behavioral issues where one day the dog just had enough, it hit its threshold, and it snaps, okay? And that's a place where we don't want to go. So I'm going to jump into these articles. This is They're kind of lengthy. They're not really lengthy, but uh, it's going to be a little bit long. Um, so they're both by Dr. Stanley Korn, who's a psychologist. He works out in Vancouver. He works in UBC. Um, in the psych department there, he does animal behavior, does human behavior. He has a whole bunch of books that he's written. Um, he's very well accomplished, very well known in the industry. Um, so the first paper I'm going to look at is called The Effect of Training Method on Stress Levels in Dogs. Discipline-based training increases stress level in dogs. Okay, so in the article... Dr. Stanley Korn talks about a training seminar he was at and was caught in a conversation about the effect of various types of dog training methods and how it affects the behavior of dogs. Okay, and you can find these articles online as well. 
Um, he goes on explaining that there are four methods that we as humans use to get the behaviors that we are looking for from our dogs. So the first one is positive reinforcement as we went over. So the reinforcement part is an increased likelihood that the dog will repeat the behavior and the positive part refers to giving the dog something it wants or likes such as a treat. Okay. The second is negative reinforcement as we also just spoke about where the negative is taking something away that is unwanted or annoying such as pressure from a choker. So for example again uh, if you want your dog to sit and it doesn't you choke your dog push down on its back and wait for it to sit. When it's sitting you then release and that's the reward. The third is positive punishment. So this is when the dog does something we don't like and we apply something to the dog. By applying something, meaning we're doing something to the dog that it doesn't like. So we're either going to slap it in the head or smack it in the face or yell at it. So if a dog pees on the floor, the old school mentality was rub the nose in the, in the pee. Doesn't work, doesn't do anything, we don't do that anymore. Okay, That's old school, we don't talk about it. Um, the fourth method is negative punishment. So this involves taking something away from the dog that the dog likes. So for a human, we would say a child who's misbehaving at the dinner table doesn't get dessert. Meanwhile, everybody else is getting dessert, right? So the dog doesn't behave, doesn't do what it's asked to. You take away its favorite toy. You take away a walk. You take away um, its treat. Okay, so those are the four training methods. So again, it's positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, and negative punishment. Okay. The article continues on giving a bit of history about how discipline-based training started in the mid-40s. Uh, military dogs were trained the same way that new recruits were trained, and they thought that it was fine to train them the same way. Uh, then Blanche Saunders changed the scope of thought and created a series of books on positive reinforcement. Different standards to today's, uh, she's still considered a little bit harsher than today would be. Um, positive reinforcement took off at that point and people such as Ian Dunbar really took hold of those methods and brought them to light, sort of say, and really put knowledge into the and made sure everybody knew about it. Uh, really put an emphasis on them. Then along came celebrity shows, TV shows like Cesar Milan's show. Uh, and brought back discipline-based training. So that's when uh, discipline-based training really started coming back is when these TV shows started appearing on TV and got out there to uh, a mass variety, mass group of people, really, um, got out to the world. So you have somebody on TV who's now a celebrity and everyone's looking up to them and thinking, well, this guy does it, so I must do it too. Um, so this is all... From the article continuing on, um, after he gives a brief history, it goes on talking about uh, the conversation he was having. So in the conversation uh, that he was having in the group, a woman said that discipline-based training should never have gone away and that there's no actual proof showing negative effects on dogs. She continued saying that there was a bias, and I quote, this is me quoting, among canine researchers who she referred to as foodies since they usually reward the dogs with a stream of food treats. Just because we live in a kinder and gentler world doesn't mean we, that we can't teach a dog that, pe that when he does something we don't like, it has a negative consequence. Properly applied by people who know what they're doing, 
There's nothing wrong with negative reinforcement or a little bit of punishment. The problem is that most researchers and the people they get to train the dogs, they test, uh, they train the dogs and test probably don't really believe in discipline-based training. And so they either overdo it or don't work at, at, at it as hard as other people would. And they're not using it properly. And quote. So what I have to say. Uh, no, no, please, no. Dogs do not understand understand right from wrong. It's not how they how their brain works. They understand survival. Okay, so I walk into a client's house and say, "Oh, they know they did something wrong because they acted this way." Well, I go to them, "No, they don't know they did anything wrong. The reason that they act in that way is because last time they did something, and you came home, you probably yelled at them or smacked them or did something to reprimand them, and what they know is you came home and they got punished. They don't." correlate their action of what they did if they're peed on the floor or destroyed something with you coming in and reprimanding them um, because who knows when that happened if, if you don't catch them doing it right there and then they're not going to remember about it in an hour's time they're not going to put the two together um, so what they've done is now learned that you come home you, they may get punished and they don't know so that is why they act the way they do um you know, so as in my point, it's like saying the child, for us humans, we understand right from wrong. So if a child's misbehaving, yes, punish them, obviously. Uh, but dogs, go, like I said, they go off instinct or survival. They, they don't understand this stuff. So Dr. Stanley Corrin then refer references an article that he just finished going over uh, that was written by two French researchers, Stephanie Daldel and Florence Gonnet. Uh, they wanted to test the effect of the true training, st training styles, uh, and the data they collected was purely observational. So they didn't do anything uh, invasive, they didn't take blood or check their heart rate or stress levels or cortisol levels or anything like that. Um, what they w did, though, is they went around their area and they looked at different positive reinforcement training session uh, centers and uh, discipline-based training centers, and they chose one of each. Okay, so from that, they went and observed 26 dogs being trained uh, through discipline-based methods and 24 dogs being trained with positive reinforcement-based uh, methods. The researchers, uh, they weren't looking at how well the dogs were learning. They weren't looking if they were learning quicker or, fat or uh, slower or anything like that or if they're picking things up, but they were looking at was the amount of stress the dogs appeared to show. Uh, so what did they, how did they do this? So they used stress signs such as mouth licking, yawning, scratching, sniffing, shivering, whining, low posture, attempts to run away, and whether or not the dog avoided making eye contact with their handler. So those are all stress signs. The results were straightforward, as Stanley put it. 65% of discipline-based trained dogs showed at least one such stressor sign, compared to only 8% of the positively trained dogs. The breakdown for each stress sign, uh, it's not really each of them, it's just for some of them, but the breakdown goes as such. For mouth licking, 38% discipline-based tra uh, training and 8% positive. Yawning, 
was 23% in the discipline and zero in the positive. And low posture, 46% discipline and 8% positive. Uh, facial contact. So facial contact is whether or not your dog is looking at you and checking in with you and making sure everything is okay and actually paying attention to what you're asking the dog to do. So when you call your dog's name, if your dog looks at you or not. Um, dogs avoid looking at things that cause them stress. So 38% of disciplined dogs looked at their owner's faces, where 88% of positively trained dogs looked at their owner's faces. Okay, so that was the end results of the study from that article. Um, they're pretty staggering results. You know, it's not rocket science. Yes, there are some pretty high numbers on either, well, not really high on the positive side um, with stress signs or anything. You wouldn't expect it to be as high. As high. Um, you know, so the fact that you're getting your dog to pay attention to you more when you're nicer to your dog than when you're not nice to your dog, it's obvious, you know? So if you're stressing out your dog, they're gonna wanna avoid you. If you're stressing out a person, they're gonna wanna avoid you, you know? So it goes hand in hand. Um, it's not right, it's not, you know, anybody who knows and understands canine uh, body language can very easily tell you how stressed out a dog gets when it's constantly being pulled on and choked and yelled at. Um, at some point, point, that dog is gonna snap and there are animals at the end of the day they are animals at the end of the day, sorry. Um, you know, it's not the only piece of research out there. This is just one of the articles I'm using, and there's another one I'm going to be reading as well. And the reason I'm using Dr. Stanley Korn is because he's well-known in the industry. Um, so the next article I'm going to talk about uh, is the effect of training methods on the efficiency of learning. So the first one was talking about the stress levels of the training method. Now we're actually going to talk about how the dog learns with each method and if one method works better than the other. Okay, so Dr. Corin goes on in this article now and this one takes place in Oregon at a Western Psycholo Psychological Association meeting. Um, he was approached by a psychologist there from the US Army and the, this psychologist did um, some work with the Army in regards to how the dogs were trained in the military. So the psychologist said to Dr. Korn, uh, and I quote, that the use of occasional punishment focuses the dog on the trainer and the task that they have been assigned, and that ultimately produces better learning and performance in the dogs. When the dog is no longer in training, those stress effects will dissipate, but the better learned behavior will be left behind, end quote. So... I heard this story on a podcast I was listening to. It was either from Tim Ferriss' show, Tony Robbins, or Deepak Chopra. I can't remember which one. They kind of all blend in together. Um, pretty much the story was of an NBA coach, Greg Popovich, who instead of reprimanding his players at a practice for a poorly played game the day before, he will walk up to them, put his hand on their shoulder, and ask them how they're doing, if they're okay, how the bottle of wine was, how the dinner was, and he'll really connect with them. And he'll make sure that he doesn't make them feel bad and doesn't reprimand them. Instead, he'll bring them closer and make them feel part of the team, part of the family. And the reason he does this is because he knows, he understands the psychology behind it. If you sit there and you reprimand somebody constantly and you put them down and belittle them, all you're doing is making them feel worse about themselves. 
But if you approach it from a different standpoint where you make them feel part of something and you understand where they're coming from and you give them constructive criticism and you help them out more and you make them feel part of a unit, part of a team, then they're not going to feel as bad as about themselves and that little bit of extra effort that they could have put in will show up next time. Um, so the article goes on and explains... Oh, sorry, the reason I was saying that is because just to rebuttal against what the psychologist was saying, if you punish a dog, you'll get better results and because it will start paying attention to its owner. Um, but as I just said with uh, Greg Popovich's story, you get the complete opposite effect. And I understand I'm comparing humans to animals, but the rationale is the same. You know, So you can't expect to punish and get better results. You know, even today in business, a lot of businesses are giving more um, leeway, more freedom to their employees where they have crazy break rooms, beer on tap, ping pong tables, more leisure time because they want the employees to feel more relaxed, more at ease and more willing to do the work. Because if they're constantly being breathed down on and looked down on, then no one's going to want to work at the company. No one's going to stay at the company. You know, so it's the, it's the same idea. So the article goes on and explains that uh, there was a study done by a team of researchers a few years prior to this. And this was uh, post. This article was posted on April 29, 2014. Uh, the head of the team was a Dr. Anouk Haverbeck of the University of uh, Namur in Belgium and was published, published in the Journal of Applied Animal Behavior Science. The study used 33 military dogs and handler teams from the Belgian army. Uh, they used Belgian shepherds and German shepherds. The handlers trained using whichever method they wanted to. So the positive training procedures involved rewarding the dog by stroking or patting, uh, verbal praise, toys, and food. The more negative techniques involved punishing the dog for poor or wrong behavior by a variety of methods, ranging from, and get this, speaking harshly or yelling, tugging upwards sharply on the leash, using a choke or prong collar, and this is my favorite one, hanging the dog by their collar, hitting the dog with a hand or the leash, or using an electric shock collar. Why would they think that hanging your dog by its collar is going to get the dog to actually listen to you? I don't understand that, but whatever. That was their method and their training. It's not okay. Um, all handlers use a mixture of these techniques. They found that some trainers use punishment a lot more than others and... Others use positive rewards more. So it was a split of who's using what. The way the experiment was set up was that a field that they set up specifically for this in order to be able to assess how well a dog performed. So they used eight obedience exercises such as walk at heel, sit, down, stand, and positions at a distance, meaning the dog's far away, they're telling the dog to do stuff. Recall to heel down out of view of the handler, and jump. Then they used five protection work exercises. So the handler's defense, attack, attack with gunshots, attack with threatening behavior, and standoff. These are exercises that these dogs should know after their training. Okay, so they looked at the team's performance, the handler's behavior, and the dog's behavior. Um, so how the handler behaved and accordingly how the dog behaved. Uh, they would tally up the amount of correctly performed exercises, and they'd also looked at the amount of attention that the dog paid 
to his task and to the handler. Uh, so this goes back to what the psychologist was saying, was using punishment to get the dog's attention back on the handler. Uh, the dogs that were not looking at their handler or not paying attention to their task were considered to be distracted, and they looked at the stress of the dogs as well. So the most sensitive stressor was being was how the dog carried its body. So if it was low-postured or how it was standing. So as previously demonstrated from the other article, the dogs that receive punishment show signs of stress in the form of significantly lower body posture. But of course, that is to be expected. And again, this is all from the article. Uh, so what they did is they split the handlers and dogs into two groups. One group was a high performance group and the other one was a low performance group. The researchers looked at the amount of dogs receiving punishments. They found that the dogs who received the most were in the low performance group meaning they didn't learn as well. Okay, so the more punishment, the less they retained, the less they learned. They also found the, um, the more punishment that was given, the more distracted the dogs were, and they paid a lot less attention to their handler and the tasks at hand. So what does that mean? It means, well, if you're an army personnel and you have a canine with you and you want it to do its job don't be mean to it it will save your life one day if you're nice to it otherwise it will just run away from you probably and let you die um so this is a quote from the article so this makes complete sense since the handler and the task have been associated with numerous punishments this is what i said before uh, this, this simple conditioning of emotional responses would say that the handler and the task are, mu are much more likely to evoke negative emotions. So in order to protect themselves from feelings that are unpleasant, the dogs avoid looking at the handler and items associated with the tasks that have caused them discomfort in the past. This may, in fact, be the primary reason why the punished dogs do not perform as well, since attention also reflects the dog's motivation to learn. Which obviously makes sense. If the dog isn't motivated, why is it going to want to learn? Come on, people. Don't hurt your dog, and it will want to learn. You hurt your dog, it's not going to want to learn. It's probably going to want to bite you. Treat me well, and I will perform at my job. Treat me like garbage, and I'll tell you where to go. Um, that's my train of thought anyways. Uh, the more distracted your dog is, the less it is learning, the less it's learning, the less it's retaining, and the less ability that it has to actually follow through with commands. Um... So these are two articles that I have used for this research on this. Um, really, it's science-based positive reinforcement where negative reinforcement really isn't science-based. It's just you ain't going to chain and you get a result. And that's what people think is proper training. Um, you know, so I just, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with having to use a prong on a dog. I don't agree with choking a dog. It doesn't do anything. Um, you can figure out the problem, you can figure out how to fix the problem. And you shouldn't really have to go towards using some kind of adversive tool. The police in Toronto, a lot of them use positive reinforcement training um, because it just it helps them, they get a better reaction out of the dog, the dog's happier to do the work, happier to do the job, less stressed. If you have a stressed out dog to begin with, and you're going to throw it into a more stressful situation, its stress levels are constantly going to be high, and it's never going to be able to come down. And when your dog's stress levels are that high, that is when you get reactivity from the dog, and that is when you get pro uh, behavioral problems. 
So that is training. Uh, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, negative punishment. People don't really do negative punishment or positive punishment anymore unless they're super, super, super old school. It's very frowned upon. Um, so please don't do that. Um, just find yourself a positive reinforcement trainer and you'll be okay. I know there's a lot of balanced trainers out there who do both. Um, if need be, they will grab a prong collar or a choker or whatever it might be to get the dog to do whatever it has to do to stop pulling on a leash or whatever it is. But these are tools and if not used correctly, can cause serious, serious damage to the dog. Uh, like they're tools like any other, they're not meant for long-term use. So if you are using one, try to get your dog off of it, find a positive reinforcement trainer for whatever behavioral issues you're having. And trust me, your dog will be happier for it. You'll be happier for it. Your dog will thank you for it. And you guys will have a great life together and you'll have a great bond. Okay? And that is it for today on training for positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement. Uh, again, this is up on my YouTube channel. And check out my other episodes as well. My episode uh, one and two. So I have one about me and then what it means to be a puppy owner or dog owner as well. To puppy or not to puppy. That is the question. Um, you can also check out the podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Anchor, uh, Public uh, Radio Public. Um, you can hit me up on Instagram at waggingwoofies. You can get me via email info at waggingwoofies.com and you can get more information about me and my services at www.waggingwoofies.com. Um, otherwise, enjoy your day. Stay warm. It is freezing cold here at minus 10. And as you can see, I'm wearing my Heli Hansons because I was out walking all day and it is cold. And it's not fun and not pleasant. All right, and that's it for me. Have a good one. Oh, one more thing. If you do like what I'm talking about, hop up onto Apple Podcast and leave me a five star. If you have any questions or anything, you can go onto Anchor and leave me a voice message and I will grab it and I will listen to it and I will answer your question. If you do have any uh, suggestions for topics or anything, let me know and uh, I'll do my very best to cover them. All right, thank you again.